All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Duckman TV and Weekend Warriors again. I've got a very special guest on tonight, something a little bit out of the normal for what I normally do. I'm normally involved in sports, but I've got a big, strong interest in paranormal and cryptozoology. And who better to get than Tim Bull, or better known as Tim the Owie Man? Tim, welcome to Duckman TV and Weekend Warriors. Thanks for your time tonight. Great to be here and talk to the one, the only, the duck man. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, you're a big hit. So online, I see you've got your own online show and stuff like that. Or you had Tim the Owie Man was on TV there for a while. And you do a lot of stuff uh, in the Canberra local papers and stuff like that. And a lot to represent uh, conservation and stuff in the country. But how did you get into all of that to start off with? How to get into... Being Tim the Owie Man or how to get into... Yeah, starting off as Tim the Owie Man. How did that come about? Yeah, so I was actually at uni, at ANU in Canberra, many years ago, way back in 1994. And I went on a little camping trip with some mates um, and discovered the Brindabellas, this mountain range just to the west of Canberra and absolutely loved it. And went back up there again um, in the following few years um, and in, uh, in particular, when I was doing my, uh, my, some work at the ANU, looking into valuing the national park, I was up there and I had an experience. And this experience up there changed my life. And you said Tim Bull. I haven't even used the name really since then. It's Tim the Owie Man, well, Tim the Owie Hunter since that particular day. Back, I think it was May 1994, I had a particular experience up there in the mountains. So what, hap what happened? What actually happened? You got me intrigued. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> well, I was walking along. Um, I was looking for bushwalkers to interview, right, um, for a, a study. I was trying to put a value on the National Park. Um, and it was late in the afternoon and up on the, this little spur on a mountain called um, Mount Franklin, I saw this movement and I looked there and expecting some kangaroo or something, but there was this big, black, bulky, hairy, ape-like creature moving in the bush. And it just freaked me out. I thought, what's going on here? My immediate reaction was to turn and run. I was, I was scared. I, what was this thing? And so I, I turned and I, I ran well, back to the fire track, well, which... On I thought at the time it took forever to get there, but on reflection, it wasn't that long to get back. Got to the fire track and, and bolted out of there. Went back to uni, told some mates eventually what I'd seen, and they said, hey, you've seen the Yowie. I said, the what? And they explained to me that the Yowie is the Australian version of Bigfoot, Sasquatch. And I'd never, I'd heard of Bigfoot and Sasquatch, but never realised Australia had its own same phenomena known as the Yowie. And I started looking for it because I wanted to go back and find more evidence. And so I started looking and then got obsessed. And that's how the Yowie, Tim the Yowie Hunter came about. And then I thought, I don't want to be known as someone trying to kill this creature because I wasn't. I just wanted evidence of it. So I changed it to Tim the Yowie Man. It's stuck. It's still there. Yeah. How long is that now? 25, 6, 7, 8? I can't count. Yeah, 28, 28 years 28 years. <laughs> so yeah. how old were you when this experience happened to you? You are in uni. Were you like... 18, 19, or like closer to 22, Yeah, so I was, well, I was about 20. Yeah, yeah 20, yeah, I think it was fourth year of uni. It was an honours degree in economics I was doing. I think it was 21 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I've done a bit of Yowie research just off, I look into weird and unusual things. People get, like, 
having the nickname Duckman, people think I've um, got some sort of weird fetish with ducks or something. But that nickname come about because I waddle around the football field like a duck. But since acquiring the duck Duckman nickname, I'm trying to do a little bit to represent conservation in the bush and look after like native ducks and stuff like that too, who unfortunately get hunted. So, um, your experience from what I've researched in the top five experiences since white settlement, along with Rex Gilroy having an experience in 1975 and stuff like that, they're, they're notable experiences. So, um, but how did you go about reporting it? Like, how did it get so much traction and everything that, uh, it's really taken um, off? It like got so much traction. I, I, I didn't, um, necessarily wanted to have traction I was, I was just being tim bull and enjoying my life but um i knew a guy who had started up a radio show in, in canberra rod quinn he still does radio um abc radio around australia of a night and i was really perplexed as to what i'd seen and i contacted this guy and said look has anyone else wanted to know if anyone else had seen this thing that i saw because it you know really freaked me out and he um he he put a call out to his listeners and uh, through the call and through other research and from other people telling me, I, I discovered that where I'd seen this creature, others had seen something or, or reported something similar dating back a hundred years and more. So he sort of put this out and he, he coined, I think he coined me, Hey, we've got this guy coming in. He's going to talk about his yowie hunting. And I didn't really know what I was talking about. I was just going in talking about what I'd seen. And, and uh, he got a big response from listeners talking about, the Yowie phenomena around Australia. And then he got me back in for a few weeks later and the name stuck and it sort of snowballed from there. There you go. That's a, <laughs> that's an extraordinary way to tumble into something you weren't really yeah, it, it tumble out. And, and, and from then on, Duckman, and I, um, I, I became a bit obsessed. I'd have to say I became obsessed because I was trying to explain what I'd seen, which when I was growing up, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, that's a load of rubbish, isn't it? And here I am having my own side, you know, similar thing in Australia. So I, I really want to get to the bottom of it. I went back up to that place in the Brindabellas dozens of times. I followed reports all around Australia for, I don't know, five, 10 years or so. Um, and overseas, just trying to get to the bottom to see if I could explain what I'd seen. Um, and it became quite obsessive in that time. But uh, since then, even though I've got the name yowie man still yeah i don't go looking for yowies as much I, I i branched out just because i couldn't solve it i was a bit annoyed but i couldn't solve the mystery of what i'd seen but in exploring the yowie phenomena i'd come across so many other mysteries in the world and around australia and um decided to branch out and then look into anything a bit unusual so although i'm called tim the yowie man it's probably a bit of a misnomer these days because i don't actually spend much time looking for yowies anymore but the name's stuck i can't call myself the person formerly known as tim the yowie man <laughs> <laughs> that would catch too you know but the, the way the world <laughs> maybe is i now. should mate. that's a lot of words <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, it's hard to roll off the tongue it doesn't roll off the tongue so well so no. funnily enough so my first experiences with yowies my great grandmother used so to live up your first experience you've had more than one well, well, I've heard about, I think I may have come across something where I've had an experience when I was young, but I okay. wasn't, wasn't sure. So my great, my great grandmother used to live in Blacksland. 
and she grew up yeah. as a young girl in Glen Innes. And she told me two stories. So she died in the early 90s. I was in my teens. But she told me two stories that stuck in my head forever and a day. And one, she gave me a book about the Banksy men and all that sort of stuff. And then she told me these stories. So I was about 10. She said, I had two experiences in my life I can't explain. Said the first was in Glen Innes, where she used to live in like the 1920s and 1930s. They lived on a property in Matin Miners. And they had an experience where they had a bushfire and swept through the property. And they were watching all the kangaroos and wombats and everything go trudging off through the paddock and that stuff right down the back. So they live right on like a national park in that area. It's on the Great Divide and Range. So it's, it's all full bush. Yep. And then they said that later in the afternoon, while this fire was raging through, so they saw something that come through. She described it to me like as the... the hair and all that on it was emu-like but it was big well over seven foot i'm six foot five and her yep. family were all big her relatives she said they're bigger than any of the guys they had and that i had an uncle who was six foot ten or something so they're like over so seven was it, foot was it running out the front of the fire like escaping from the fire yeah, escaping from the fire so they reckon they described it and when i showed her a picture when i was young what did it looked like and i showed her a picture like captain came in and said like that just a big like a bit nondescript the feature says just big hairy animals just running away from the fire across the property they couldn't believe it and the, the men were worried so they went hunting for it to try to find it so find what it was and kill it or whatever but they couldn't yeah. find it and the second experience she told me about is when she suffered bushfires again when she lived in Blacksland in 1968 they had huge bushfires that they took out a house and that stuff she said after that yeah, yeah. When it was getting rebuilt, she lived right on the escarpment. I can't remember the street name, but it was right back up onto the escarpment of the National Park on the south side of Blacksland. And it hit and wiped it out. So when her house was getting rebuilt, she reckoned that late one evening, so coming towards dusk and that stuff, she used to feed animals. um, Animals used to come up out of the bush to get food, particularly after the fires. So look after kookaburras or whatever and feed them just scraps. She reckoned she saw something that's only about five foot tall run through the bush off the edge and down the escarpment. And that's pretty harsh. Like to do that, you would seriously injure yourself if yeah. you're a person. So so she said two experiences. Yeah. So she had two experiences in her life and she told me about that. So I was always fearful. I was fearful of it growing up, but it made me aware of different things. And um, just since then, I've really got into what's happening um, <laughs> with the Australian. Yeah, we research and that stuff. So, uh, and a lot of people have compelled me to follow it up a bit more. because I've been a truck driver for a long time. I'm out of it now, but I had different experiences. I wouldn't say they're yowies, but unexplainable things happened to me out in the bush at different times. Where or driving the trucks on the on the outback roads or the country roads. Yeah, out in the country roads, yeah, heading out yeah. towards Dubbo or heading out towards parks, and you pull up and sleep at night and wake up, and strange things that happen to your vehicle. What about I'm, the Pilliger scrub? Yeah, well, I, I haven't been up there, but people are compelling me to go up there to check out. The, yeah, well, the <laughs> I haven't been up there for a while, but yeah, a lot of truck. There's a lot of stories of, of truckies that have pulled over on the side of the road there in the Pilliga scrub in the middle of the night and had all sorts of things run over the top of their truck and shake the cabin and, and, and things like that. So, yeah. Um, so do you genuinely think there's something to that? Well... These people are reporting something. That, so, yeah, I genuinely think these people are experiencing something. Yep. Um, from my, 
looking at the research over the last well, 28 years now, geez, um, I think there is a small percentage of, I don't know if you call it fraud or hoaxing or exaggerating or, make, or making up stories, but the vast majority of people I've spoken to genuinely have had something weird happen. They've got no reason to make it up or um, pretend they've seen something. They've seen, they've experienced something they can't explain and they just yeah. want to talk to other people. You probably find this in, in doing some of your research that you've got into. Yeah. They just want to talk to someone else that's had something similar that they can um, you know, bounce ideas off, confide in, whatever you want to call it, that people are experiencing something out there, whether it is a yowie, a big, large, hairy, um, bipedal creature or something else. We don't know exactly, but yeah, they are experiencing something unusual. Yeah. So I've, I've heard the theory about people think there's a hominoid sort of person that's not extinct like a, a big human or yep. gigant um gigantopithecus or whatever it is as well so yep. like yep. They're, they're like a big extinct orangutan isn't it something like that yeah and when i first got into yowie researching yowie hunting i i thought it had to be flesh and blood it had to be something like this missing link a uh, gigantopithecus or whatever you want to call it uh, a missing hominid out there um but the and, and this might sound a bit weird and uh, me talking about this now 28 years later i wouldn't have said this 28 years ago that's for sure but in, in researching the yowie phenomena as, long, as well as many other cryptids uh and also dabbling in ghosts and paranormal i actually now i'm at the conclusion that the yowie phenomena is predominantly not flesh and blood it, it's something that some people seem to be able to see and experience and, and other people don't. No one's ever got any conclusive physical evidence. In today's world, we would the amount of people out there, the amount of people with cameras and ability to collect stuff and we know the, the planet back to front. If yeah. there's a large creature out there and a sustainable population that we hitherto known to science, unknown to science, I, I can't see that happening. I think there's something... I don't know if paranormal is the right word, but there's something Spiritual. else going on. So that's what the indigenous people believe, isn't it? Indeed. The Camilleroy people up in the Pilliga, they believe that when you hear them talk about it, because I, I worked at, I drove from Emu Plains to Dubbo and back every day for seven years, taking steel loads. And guys told me about stories out there, like Hickey's Falls and different stuff like yep. that. And then just recently I come across Dean Harrison's podcast he did with a lady yep. who was terrified for her life with the kids. And something happened. Something happened for sure. Yep. She doesn't know exactly what it is. And she doesn't claim that it was any particular thing. She just said, I saw something and it was big and gave a description. Yep. She she didn't exactly say, oh, yeah, look, could give out perfect features. It's like what you'd see in a moment of terror, fleeting terror escaping. So yep. well, I've been in those positions in the past where I've been, I thought I was getting chased through the bush one day. I actually thought this. Yeah, we once upon a time chasing after me or something or someone, and I realized yeah. it's probably I think we're getting stalked. Or I lived around the Pembroke area, it's a bit of yeah. heavy bush in the South Creek area, and it runs into multiple national parks. We actually think we might have been getting stalked by like a big cat, like like a panther like creature. And I've had two two direct experiences with seeing stuff like that. One time was on you've had two experiences with big cats. 
Yeah, we're, I've, I've definitely come across things where I think I've seen big cats. One of them was out, I know that you did research for the Department of Primary Industries or something, I think it was in the early 2000s. And one of my experiences would have been near where you did it, was up near, um, what was it? Near Sunny Corner. So, oh, yeah, Sunny Corner out near the back of yeah. Orange Baptist there, yeah. Yeah, so I was in between like Mount Lambie and Yeddome going yep. up, up the range in Sunny Corner State Forest yep. up in there. So... Yep. An experience I had, I saw a kangaroo carcass get pulled off the side of the road. And this thing was like nearly two meters tall. I'm a big guy. It got dragged off the road about three in the morning when I was driving a truck. Like I definitely wasn't fatigued yeah. where I could be making it up. And I just went, I don't know what that was. I think it was bigger than a dog. It way, didn't have way more capacity than a cat. So it looked like the shape of a cat like a bigger longer cat it was hard to really get a glance at it because i'm doing 100 up the highway so but, but you're you're saying that so when we're talking about the big cats here just a minute ago we're talking about how yowies might be spiritual or paranormal or something like from another realm yeah i think the big cat sightings people are seeing aren't necessarily the same sort of thing i think the big cat sightings people like yourself are having are actually big cats or big dogs out there in the bush. I don't think they're necessarily spiritual, but do you yeah. think, did you think, did you think it was a flesh and blood thing on, on reflection? I thought, yeah. So I looked at like when, when the initial thing happened when I was young and come across stuff in the bush, you're terrified. Yeah. So you're trying to escape from what you can't see. You know, something's there, yeah. you know, you kind of get in stalk, but then you run all sorts of fearful things through your mind. Yeah. And when I was growing up, it was around the time when Ivan Matt's running around doing all the terrible things he did. But we didn't know about that. But I distinctly saw a physical animal in the shape. It was big enough to be a dog. But I just don't think it was a dog. But I wouldn't say that it was a cat. And right. I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything to say that it won't be a cat-like creature. Right. But I know that there's not actually panthers or cougars or any sort of mountain lions or anything like that in in Australia at all. What I wonder is maybe if the phylocene's still alive, but because yeah. I've heard enough and stories that make you think that's true as well. So Yeah, and I think the big cat sightings that you're talking about then, the ones that you've had, um, after I was looking into the Yowie for some years and looking for other cryptids or these mystery creatures to, to investigate, the, the big cat is by far and away the number one sighted creature in Australia. More people claim to have seen the big cat than... Whether you want them bunyips, yowies, thylacines, sea serpents, whatever else is out there. Um, these alien big cats, we're aliens, you know, from meaning unknown rather than out of space, they're really the number one mystery animal. Because as you say, we don't have a big cat, we don't have a panther, we don't have a cougar, we don't have any of these native cats uh, in Australia. So what we're seeing, uh, is again, we can't explain because people have seen it, farmers have seen it, they know the difference between a large feral cat or a feral dog and something else. And often they're saying it's something else. Yeah. But again, just like the Yowie, there's very limited physical evidence of these creatures that people have been able to capture apart from fleeting glances. So it remains a mystery, maybe, just maybe yeah. it is also spiritual. Who knows? So there was lots, there's lots. So Let's go back a couple of steps. So yeah. what is cryptozoology itself? What is cryptozoology to the well, normal person? Cryptozoology I guess, is the study of 
I like to refer to strange or hidden or mysterious animals, animals that uh, are unknown to science, or uh, but it also covers animals that have disappeared, uh, thought to be extinct, that people still claim to see, hence the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger these days is seen as a, a cryptid or part of cryptozoology, whereas, you know, back in the 1920s and 30s, it wouldn't have been a, a cryptid because it was alive and well. So I guess the field of cryptozoology um, covers that, that broad area. So think of Bigfoot, Loch Ness monsters, um, anything that creature that people claim is out there or have seen it, but science is, hasn't yet documented it, mainstream yeah. science. So outside of your main experience you have with your Yowie experience back in the Brindabella Ranges in 1994, in May, it would have been heading towards winter too, not quite there, but see, I come across, the funny thing is that times I've come across panther-like big cat creatures in the bush, it's been the same sort of time lapse. So heading into winter, they're looking for food, they're coming onto the side of the road. Um, they're getting like dead animals and stuff like that. So that's the other time I saw was near the bush. I've had different unusual experiences. Another time I was driving through nearly to like five minutes out of the middle of Pemriff and come across the equivalent of like a massive angry Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer coming out of the bush. And I don't know who keeps ears around this area. I've never seen one. It's the first time I've ever seen one in my whole life around here. That was about five years ago. But um, what was, so what was it a big? A, a big deer. huge deer, huge, yeah. huge antlers. It, yeah. it was big. Looked like it's probably a male. I'm guessing because of the how big the antlers are and stuff. It was like well over two meters. Australia's got a s- big feral deer problem there. There's feral deer everywhere there. You know, park rangers yeah. and the like. There's various programs to you know uh, reduce the numbers because they're they're you know they're the camel of the of the you know of, of the of the you know the countryside that's not the outback. They're, they're, yeah. they're out there they're everywhere yeah so where you live so you live in canberra don't you, you still live down yep. in canberra yeah yep so it's very different around there if people saw deers and that stuff around here they like on it embrace it oh that's cute but right. it causes a whole different experience down there when they're in national parks and destroying yeah. native animals like environment and stuff like that doesn't it yeah it does and people um yeah they're they're not meant to be there so yeah, there's a there's various plans and and ways to uh, to reduce their numbers. In fact, I for, for some years I lived in, uh, in the Royal National Park in Sydney, and uh, that was one of the places where deer had escaped from a um, a deer park. I forget how long ago it was. It was I know maybe a hundred years or so ago. There was a deer park. People come and, and visit in, in that area, and and there those deer are still all around. Some people like them because they want a few few there because the tourists like to take photos of the deer but they can just, you know, the population can just get out of control really quickly. So um, I don't mind them keeping a few deer if, you know, that's part of the, the history of the place, but need to leave a bit of space for the, the native creatures. Yeah. So what would you say to people that are interested in like, they've got like a, yowie, they've got yowie fever because that's effectively what this. I know a lot of people in the paranormal stuff, including spiritual where they like ghost hunting and stuff. And when you get the bug, effectively, you get the bug and yeah. you start to, it starts to become obsessive and you 
want to find out more about it. So I, well, I'm trying to do, I want to find out more about it too. I'd love to do what Josh Gates does and travel around the world looking for uh, yetis and stuff like that and follow the trails of like what Sir Edmund Hillary did going up and down for Everest and everything to try to prove or disprove it. But um, I don't know, how much money could you throw at something to prove if it's real or not? So I'd rather try to prove what I can So I'd, and dispel some of the myths that are out and about with different things in the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm a bit like you. I um, When I first got into I wanted to travel the world and try and solve every mysterious cryptid or creature out there. And, and I did for a while and managed to do that, but it's a costly exercise and when you're looking for creatures that most people don't think exist and you haven't got any physical scientific evidence of it it's it's pretty hard to to fund such expeditions and trips so <laughs> after a while when you depleted your, your bank balances you you realize you you probably focus more on things closer to, to home and uh you can still remain obsessed with them oh, obsessed 28 years later um uh, remain obsessed with it get out there look around um, what, what I've enjoyed about it is I'm, I'm quite disappointed. I was really very disappointed initially that I'd never got to the bottom of the Yowie mystery after five, 10 years looking into it. But what it did is it got me out there to places around Outback Australia, um, Scotland for the Loch Ness Monster, all these different places in the world looking for these creatures. And although I didn't find any, I found the world, the, the environment, and found all these other creatures that we do know exist. And it made me appreciate them even more that, you know, here, here I am, uh, being a bit of a fool, really, looking for creatures that we don't know are there or not, and most people believe aren't, but there's all these wonderful creatures that are there that are just hanging on because, you know, a lot of threatened species out there, thousands of threatened species, um, they're going to disappear and in years to come they'll be cryptids because humankind has driven them to extinction so for me it's become a bit of a journey from initially looking for the unknown and trying to say yep i found a yowie this is what it is it's a missing link here it is or the loch ness monster it's been debunked it's just this you know lost creature in in, in the uh, in, in in loch ness to actually trying to understand the, the natural world more and appreciate what we have got and make sure we don't lose it. So to talk about unusual mystery, something that I don't understand is Lake George or uh, Wirrawa, that's its name, isn't it? It's yeah. an indigenous name. So yeah. how, does, how does that work with the lake? I've driven past that for so many years and I've seen water in it. It's hard to judge the depth. Some days you look at it when there's been water in it, you could think, oh, it could be up to two metres in it. Look got nothing to gauge it with other than eyesight and the horizon and whatever reflection of the water into the sun i know that it's fairly full again now that's why i'm bringing it up with yeah. you now so how how deep would it be if you went out there now and you like dropped to, could you take yeah. a boat out into the deepest part and you're talking about a couple well, of at, at its deepest point at the moment i think it's only about one one and a half meters deep so the water in the, the Lake George is like a, a saucer. It's a okay. really shallow basin. And that's why the water comes and goes. So in a really hot summer, think of a, a saucer of water put on your back porch in a searing hot 40 degree days. It doesn't take long for it to evaporate. So it can go from quite full 
to just vanishing over a, a summer, vanishing, literally evaporating. Um, but then it takes some effort to refill it. You need all the creeks that flow into it to be in flood. So you need a wet year like a La Nina or two La Nina years like we're having now to really yeah. pump water into it to, to start filling it up. And you need a really cloudy summer. So we've had a really cloudy summer this summer. So the evaporation rates are really low and that water level's been sustained. But still at 1.6 metres, it's, it's still nowhere near what we call full, whatever you want to call full, because there's no natural outlets. The outlet's 37 metres high through a place called Geary's Gap and there'd be towns underwater everywhere. But that, that's not going to happen unless we get Noah's Ark type rain. Yeah. Um, the deepest has been, I think it's about eight, eight, it got to about eight metres um, back in the 1850s and that would flood the current highway along there. But in modern times, like in the last hundred years, it's got to about half of that in the, um, in the mid 1900s. So um, there is water in there. And if it keeps raining, it'll go up. Um, and one of the reasons I do like the Lake Duckman is there was a story back in the 1800s of a bunyip in there. And we all love our cryptids. And Lake George Bunyip um, was what first got me interested in, in, in Lake George, this creature that supposedly came out of the lake to, um, to was spotted by people going past on horseback and they claimed that it sank back into the water and it sucked all the water and that's how it disappeared. So I think that story was a bit of an exaggeration. And, but um, the so-called Lake George Bunyip really got me interested in um, Lake George or Wirua, as you, as you mentioned, the Indigenous name. Yeah, so I've got a lot of truck driver mates that love to chat to you because we've got some conspiracy theories about China stealing the water, aliens doing stuff with it, and the whole underground society underneath that. And <laughs> yeah, well, there's the stories you probably heard. This that you probably heard the stories as Lake George goes up, um, a lake in New Zealand or Siberia goes down, and vice <laughs> versa. They're supposedly all these lakes around the world are connected through these subterranean channels then as one goes up the other goes down you know maybe scott morrison's taking the water who knows yeah. <laughs> so how does that work with the core of the earth? so if that's true how does that work with the whole core of the earth considering it doesn't yeah that's why it's, it's a load of, it's a load of rubbish it's um the water in the lake george uh, in weira goes up and down purely from evaporation and, and big rainfall events you look at past rainfall data and whenever you've had two big years of rain the lake goes up and gets to a high level. And then a few years later, it's all but gone because you've had some really hot, dry summers. And yeah, so in the, I think since Europeans have been around in the country, it's been completely dry 13 times and full, you know, up and down 13 times. Yeah, so I've, only seen it. I've only seen it with any sort of water. And I remember it in the late 80s had some yep. level of water in it, but when you're young, hey, you could have had a thousand meters of water in, it, in your head. You <laughs> early late eighties, early nineties, it was yeah. way up. It was, um, yeah. So it was uh, about double, roughly, what it is now. That's the last time it was, it was quite high. And in fact, in the late eighteen hundreds, when it got really high, they're having a competition of, um, or trying to work out where to put the national capital. And there were plans to put the national <laughs> capital of Australia on Lake George. And it was going to be like Venice. There was going to be water running through the streets. There's these plans of, you know, a Venice-like of the South. But yep. then um, Lake George did its disappearing act. And when the decision makers <laughs> went out there to look at it, um, it was a couple of years later, there'd been a drought and it was just dust everywhere. So they just rode off into the dust and said, this is a joke. We obviously can't have a city here with water running through the streets. And so they 
um, after a while decided to put what we now know as Canberra where it is now and, and build a lake called Lake Billy Griffin because the one at Lake George wasn't going to hang around. So I'm assuming they weren't impressed with like the Bush Ranger Hotel, a collector and all that sort of stuff to really think, oh yeah, we'll set up Parliament House here and stroll over there and have a good lunch. Yeah, they should have because the Bush Ranger pub was there then and collector was one of the, the hotspots in the area and, um, you know, one of the, the main um, places, you know, to call in. There was more than one pub. I think it was three pubs in collector back in that in, in those days. But, yeah, collector, a bit smaller now than a capital city. Yeah. Great Absolutely. town, though. Yeah, it's, it's great town. I love, love collector. So you've come across a lot of unusual phenomenon in your whole life and like I said as well as doing Yarra research and different stuff you've done how did it come about that you did research for the department of primary industries to how did they source you out to go looking for the colonies of big cats and stuff like that and what's the weirdest thing you come across because i know you do ghost research and stuff like that as well and ghost tours so yeah so with the dpi i don't think um some of the the media reports might be a bit a bit misleading I was never employed by them to undertake any research. I was undertaking my own research and they asked me what I discovered or what I'd found, but I wasn't like um, on their books or being paid to conduct research. I was just one of many, I guess, cryptozoologists or big cat researchers at the time that they consulted to try and uh, work out, was there in fact a, a real big cat problem in New South Wales or wasn't there? So I think hopefully that puts that record straight. Um, and your second question was, um, I've forgotten it now. What was it? So, what's the what's the most unusual experience you come across, like paranormal or yeah. otherwise? It's a hard one um, because there's been a few, <laughs> uh, but probably the most unusual thing is to do with a shipwreck. So, there's various shipwrecks around Australia. There's there's hundreds, if not thousands, actually. There's a lot of shipwrecks around Australia, but one shipwreck in particular off the West Australian coast called the Alkamos. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't heard of that. No. It's a shipwreck. It, I think it wrecked in about 1963, just north of Perth. Um, prior to it wrecking, it had this long list of bad luck associated with it. It had sort of half wrecked before. There'd been fires on board. They had trouble building it. It was almost like a doomed ship that was um, always bad luck associated with it. So not surprising, it's shipwrecked. But after it became shipwrecked, it seemed that a lot of people that went to the wreck, whether they dived on it, because you could see it just off the shore from Lancel and just north of Perth, where they dived on it, swam on it, went past in a boat, a lot of people had bad luck. Like they, um, they would have accidents, they'd have sustained injuries, they mysterious diseases all these sort of things that they said well there's a curse there's a curse associated with the alchemist but can't be a curse it's just it's just um, a coincidence not a curse so i went over there and tested it out i thought you know i'll test this out so i swam out to the wreck um off a, off a boat and went out to the wreck and said there's no curse here what's a curse it's just coincidence if there's a curse show yourself and it was a nice beautiful warm sunny perth day suddenly wind came from nowhere and these waves smashed up against the rusting hull of the wreck all these birds that were around the side which i couldn't see started squawking like hitchcock's birds and my hand got smashed up against the side of the wreck and started to bleed and 
I've got this terrible feeling over me. I thought, what's going on? So I jumped back on the little tinny I was in. Someone was taking me out. And, um, yeah, I felt really unnerved. And I went back to shore. And the next three weeks, I had the worst luck of my life. My, my grandmother died unexpectedly. My girlfriend left to go overseas for three years. Um, oh. And that was unexpected. Um, I was funding a lot of my trips through writing for magazines. A number of magazines, I think almost every magazine I was writing for folded in that two weeks. Like they're in the US and the UK and one in Australia, they all collapsed. So no income source. I got headbutted unconscious by a camel. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that on video? Uh, I snapped the keys in a, in a, no video. I snapped the key before those days. I snapped the key in a, um, a hire car in the middle of basically the desert in Western Australia. All this happened and I thought, maybe I have been cursed. So I came all the way back to Canberra, gathered my thoughts and thought, geez, this is terrible. And um, decided a few weeks later to, to go back over. And like I had enough frequent flyer points, went back all the way back over to Perth, went out to the wreck and said, look, I can't explain this. There's a lot of stuff in life I can't explain. And I hope to one day, but I thought this was just coincidence, but this feels like there's something else going on here. Um, sorry, if there is, let me be. And from that moment, Silence came over the ocean. It was calm. I felt really calm myself and I've had good luck ever since. So it's not a cryptid. It's not quite anything ghostly or paranormal, but I don't know. Is the curse real? Isn't it real? Is the coincidence? I won't be finding out because I'm not going to test another one. Yeah. Sort of few people have told me if I want to go on about, it's like lots of people, I'm the kind of guy that someone goes, jump the push bike off the roof of the house and see if you can land on the other house. I'm probably the guy that's going to give that a crack. Even though well, you will. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I thought at that time I could do anything. So this was, I can't remember when it was, but it was late 1990. So that really, uh, I, I changed my attitude and thought, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, I can't explain. I'm only a young whippersnapper back then. And um, i best leave some of this to other people or just let, let it be so that sort of gave me a bit of a philosophy that there's that mysterious things out there maybe some of them are meant to be out there and not be discovered maybe some of them are meant to be left behind so yeah a lot of people say well where's your big list of all your creatures you've discovered and i go well there is none and they go well you're a failure and i go well in that respect i am but i i think if i actually discover one of these creatures is real I think it's a bit disappointing then because other people can't go looking for it. Takes it, it, feels like, it feels like these creatures need to stay mysterious. Like how disappointing would it be if 100%, I know it's close to 100%, but 100% sure that there's no Loch Ness Monster. People would be devastated. Surely it's 99.9%. It's not. There's no Loch Ness Monster. But if people could say there's no Loch Ness Monster, it's been proven to be absolute force. There's no Yowie. There's no, what's the use of living? You need something to look for. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and there's different spiritual beings. So I'm not indigenous at all, but I know a lot of indigenous people have told me there's things you don't play with yep. in, in the real world is effects. Like you said, like, was there a curse with that ship or not? Well, you don't know, but like you don't, there's spiritual things that genuinely I believe happen. So, yeah. And they're out of our control, but we can control it through, a subconscious thoughts and stuff like that. So we want to provoke things to be bad. Well, like I've, I've seen where that can happen. People have bought things onto themselves and 
people that have lived life where quiet and don't antagonize situations and beings and things or whatever it might be don't have mm. some of the same issues or problems but i might not have the same stories either <laughs> yeah and that, and that happens like some some place i've been around australia people the indigenous people have their um yaoi stories and yaoi beliefs in certain areas and they say that's for us we don't want anyone that's non-indigenous and i'm non-indigenous looking into that and so i i, I take their advice on and I, I just stay clear of that so um i think that's another reason i haven't become someone out there constantly looking for yaoi's everywhere every place every time is uh, there are other people out there and now particularly our, our indigenous australians who um it's much more firmly entrenched in in their culture than it is in in mine and um i think it's best in most cases left to them to tell the stories and and look into that in, into the yaoi phenomena rather than what i see myself as an outsider than us impose ourselves on what they're what is sacred or whatever to them yeah. so yeah i don't want to cross the line so i've really since i've discovered that as well that's another reason i've really stepped back from yowie hunting so to speak yeah so you're really big on conservation and doing a lot to promote conservation and that stuff i see you put a lot of stuff and articles in the canberra papers and you promote that and you promote a lot of so tourism through ghost hunts and stuff like that as well. So people may or may not have experiences. But um, do you think it's really important that, like, particularly we've come on the back of COVID, do you think it's important to get out and embrace the environment, embrace conservation and trying to preserve what we have? We've only got a limited amount of water on the world and amount of food and that stuff. And I think people are a bit careless sometimes and, don't really respect what they've got until it's gone, then it's too late to turn it around. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's how I feel my my life has progressed, I guess, from someone looking for these cryptids, these mysterious animals, into someone and, and ghosts and taking people on ghost tours and the like. All that is is fun and it's um and and sometimes we have experiences, sometimes we don't, but in looking for the ghosts, we find out about the rich history, whether it's um, indigenous or in most cases, the history I'm looking at is European history of a particular place. In going looking for various cryptids, not only do you discover or, or try and discover some sort of evidence of the cryptid, but in doing so, you explore the natural world and you, you understand more about the creatures that are there, the ones yeah. that we do need to look after, the ones we don't want to slip into extinction like the Tasmanian tiger. And yeah, it is important that we um, we look after you know our planet, look after our creatures, whether they're cryptids or not. Because if we don't, every creature will turn into a cryptid, which you might think is good for a cryptozoologist. But um, <laughs> you need some real creatures out there to to, to grow. <laughs> you can't have everything being um, cryptozoological and mythological. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that, that's not a good outcome for anybody. No, not, not so, a good outcome because then you know what humans. We're on that list, list. you know. Yeah, and we're we'll on that list next. too. <laughs> yeah, we so, already are. Oh, absolutely. So, out of everything you've done, uh, everything, if I, so you're very big in Canberra, in the whole Canberra area, if you had to pick one story or one place, because I'll, I'll roll into another thing and think about in a minute, you've got a great interest for pies. 
I've seen the YouTube yeah, video <laughs> on your pie hunt. I've, yeah. I love a pie. I've got a few pie eating records around Sydney. Oh, and I'm going to do I'm, your little pie expedition. So, uh, right. Well, let's talk about pies. So, so pies, um, to me, pies are quintessentially Australian. So, I love going around and finding where you can eat the best pies in your region. I'm not necessarily about eating as many pies as you can because on that pie trip you're talking about, um, I think I was on a diet at the time and I had to knock back a dozen pies in in about 12 hours, which um, it mightn't sound like too much, but when you're constantly stopping and having another pie and uh, 12 pies rolling around in the gut does, you know, it's not a pie eating record by any means, but it's um, it's certainly not a good way to start a diet. <laughs> <laughs> it's 5,000 calories. So, Is, so it, is it that many? Yeah. Yeah. It's about 400 and something calories a pie. So, Right. An average plain pie, if you just went to the server and just bought the normal one off yep. the shop. So, and right. Unfortunately, I found out after I set a few pie eating records, as I said, I had 16 pies for lunch one day when I worked Oof. at Sergeant's Pies. Still the factory record, if anyone wants to take it on. Oh, you worked at Sergeant's? Yeah, I used to work at Sergeant's Pies at Colleton in Sydney. So, right. There's a, I've got a really good story about Sergeant's Pies. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I know it's not on topic, but. Parliament House, when it opened in Canberra in 1927, this is the old Parliament House, right? Yeah. They had a big um, celebration. They thought all these people from Australia, around Australia, were going to come to the grand opening. There was royalty there, all sorts of things. And they ordered all these meat pies. They ordered 10,000 sergeants meat pies from Sydney. And they were trucked down. This is before refrigeration, so they had to get here pretty quick, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but hardly anyone showed up to the event. And oh. so they... They, they couldn't be taken back because they'd be off, right? No, So they buried them. So they buried these thousands of meat pies and then what's called the Parliamentary Triangle near where the current National Gallery of Australia is and they're still there in the ground. How about that? How far down? Oh, oh, oh that's something I want to research now. I'm yeah. trying to look for weird and unusual things because I was going to ask you, what is the funniest or quirkiest or weirdest story just general sort of story or fact or something you can tell us about Canberra and the area that you've come across in your times that would get someone, if someone wanted to come to Canberra, what would you tell them? You need to check out these three things. What would they be? Um, firstly, there's a hotel called the Hotel Carajong. And people, I, I love my ghosts. You, you love your ghosts or ghost yeah. stories. And uh, it's, it's actually haunted by none other than an ex-Australian Prime Minister. So an ex-Australian Prime Minister, Ben Chifley, he died in there uh, okay. on the 13th of June 1951, I think it was. He, he died in the hotel. And since then, people that stay at the hotel claim, or some of them claim if they go into his room, that they can experience the ghost of, uh, of Ben Chifley. So that's up there. The ghost of an Australian Prime Minister, that's pretty hard to beat. That's pretty cool. Um, Another one would be actually in old Parliament House. I know we're sticking to some parliamentary things here, but um, there was a deputy prime minister in the late 70s, uh, in the late 60s, um, Blackjack McEwen was his name. He was sick of the building because the building was full of people and everyone would come past his office um, and knock on his door and he couldn't, he was sick of having to deal with all the, the public and other politicians and media. So he had a special bolt hole, a cubby hole <laughs> built into the side wall outside of his office where when he saw come when he was advised that someone was coming to his office he didn't want to speak and talk to he would go and hide in this little cubby house until until the person he, that he was talking to 
um, disappeared. <laughs> or that the person that he didn't want to talk to disappeared. So um, that, that, that would definitely have to be right up there. And a third one, uh, there, there's so many. Um, a third one would probably be at Duntroom, which is the Royal Military College in, in Canberra. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Like a, yeah. Um, and you probably heard of The Great Escape, you know, the, the famous movie. Have you? Um, they had sort of a great escape. Uh, some cadets actually um, at, at Duntroon in the 1950s, they had to make, um, uh, their rooms always had to be, uh, the, the mess, their offices, everywhere they had to be really spotlessly clean. And these guys were sick of um, having nowhere to put their dirty shoes or a bit of sly grog, that sort of stuff. So they dug over a number of years, literally by taking dirt and putting it in their pockets and walking out and dumping it under a tree, they dug this secret cavern underneath their quarters at Duntroon. Uh, and it's still there. And it's a, it's, it's a secret that not many people know about. And you can actually get in there and actually sit there and be where they had their secret parties, you know, 60 years ago. So they're three unusual things. There's, there's, there's dozens, but I bet you hadn't heard of any of them. Oh, I heard something about the Duntroon. I heard there were trenches cut through and underneath different parts as well where some of the officers, non-coms and that stuff were. They could go into other campuses like where the women were and that and mingle after hours and stuff like this. Is, well, that, I, is there anything? Yeah, well, I haven't seen them. They, they might exist, but I've definitely seen these other ones. They're there. Yeah. <laughs> this cavern, it's definitely there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to get down the camera again the next couple of months. So COVID hasn't been great for everyone, but it's it's good no. to have people like you on to talk about the good things in the country we should be checking out. And there's there's a lot of different mythological things and just different experiences people can have if they check out the outback. Like there's ghost adventures all over the place and different things. And what would, would you recommend? Go looking for the Min Min light. Look for the Min Min light, the, the Nullarbor nymph, the I've, UFO I had Min lights. Min lights. I had a Min Min lights experience out one. You did. I was being a trucker, you would have. Where was it? Where was so it? it was out near, they call it Baker Swamp. It's out in between uh, Wellington and Orange. So right. heading towards Wellington. Uh, I thought, thought I had the experience. I told a couple of people out Dubbo about it. And they said to me, they thought I was extremely fatigued. And I couldn't rule that out. So I kind of brushed it off that that might not have happened. What did you see? Saw, what did you actually see? I saw lights come behind me for somewhere like 50 kilometers, about three or four in the morning. So it was dark. And they come past me and behind me for, yeah, like so from Mo Long to, to there. So 30 to 50 Ks all up. And then they got past me like 500 to 600 meters. And then I just saw lights look like they just went straight up into the air, just like straight up like spotlights. And I just went, What color? Oh, they were like, it just like a lighty yellowy orange color. So not very far off the ground. And it started off just sort of slow, just like the hovering behind me. And then it like, come on me all of a sudden within a couple of kilometers, it's like I was getting chased in like a Duke's Hazard style high speed chase. And I was in the truck. So I was just sitting on 100 and I just went, what's going on here? I actually wondered if I was getting rounded up by some people that were <laughs> going to do nefarious stuff. So to were you, me. What are you worried that? What, what did you think they were? Did you think they were you worried it was a, a UFO with aliens in it? Or, what, or did you think it was? Had you heard of the, the Min Min lights, which I'd heard might about be the natural phenomena? 
yeah, I knew about the lights, but I actually thought I was, I was worried I was getting chased. I was worried that someone like, because they, the lights had got right up behind me and got very bright very quickly, like within the space of like a couple of kilometers, they're gone from being a couple of kilometers behind me where I could see it to being right on me all of a sudden and right up my backside, the truck where we could see the back of the truck was glowing yeah. and could see the lights under the back of it. And I was just thinking, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I thought someone's playing games with me. And then they're gone past me. So I couldn't clearly see, I won't say I clearly saw a vehicle go past me. I saw the lights go past quickly and gone about 600 meters in front of me and literally just like took off like that and went up. And I just went, I don't know what's happened there exactly. So I what stopped. Do you th- what, what's your theory? Well, I wondered if like I had some sort of like alien or something like that, some sort of UFO experience come up behind me. And I've heard other people tell me stories. When I told people about it, people are a bit more forthcoming telling me about their experiences. And, and I've had friends that had similar things happen. So I actually put it down to a more realistic thing. I thought perhaps I was suffering from fatigue and a guy on a four-wheel drive or something got up behind me, just decided to want to get into it for a bit and got up behind me and just trying to spook me. Uh, went past me because dark had all these lights off or whatever, then flicked the lights back on, then turned off, pulled off the side of the road into a property. So it's plausible it could have happened. So but yeah. I, I thought also, I saw the what, lights go straight up into the air. So I, yeah. I don't mistake do you, that that it happened. What do you think of the theory that one of the theories that's bandied around is that it's actually just light from another truck or car that's a long way away, like over the horizon, over the curvature of the earth. And because at night you get different temperature inversions just on the surface of the earth. And when light hits a layer of different temperature air, it can bend. And that could be light coming from 100 kilometers away if it's flat enough. Yeah. Um, bending over the surface of the earth. And it's, it's, it looks like it's behind you, but it's not. And then when it t- taken off that vehicle, if it is a vehicle making those lights, is just, suddenly it's no longer flat and it's gone up a hill. So it's lights have gone out of your, it can't bounce over the curvature of the earth to reach you anymore. It could explain some sightings. I don't know if it explains yours. Yeah. It could, could be, I'm looking much more to the plausible side of things. I think that like, yeah, I probably had a running with someone who has been a bit of Yahoo in a vehicle right. and gone past me and perhaps they've had spotties and flicked them yeah. off, pulled off. I've seen people do it before. They'll pull off the road at high speeds and turn their lights off and that just spooks that they do it to spook drivers so i guarantee you some of these things happen to drivers when they've been in the pillager scrub as well like yeah i'm talking about yowies before and stuff like that if you're on your own and you know you're on your own in an area and you can hear a bunch of different noises and you can't explain it and you got fatigue well you get heightened fear and stuff like that so that's what people like having paranormal adventures and stuff doing different things because it gives you a bit of heightened enlightenment what's going on you you're more aware of everything that's happening around you so oh, yeah something that yeah. could be small it could be yeah. small it could be massive but like i like to try to think like i said i had an experience one night out the back of in between parks and manildra and i stopped on the side of the road and had a sleep and i could hear clicking and cracking and stuff on the truck and i was i was genuinely concerned i was in the day cab truck and first thing I did, I put my hand on the door and went, all right, it's locked. Put my hand over the other side and went, all right, that's locked as well. So I knew someone or something was there and I could hear him mucking around with the truck. And I was tired. I went, just have a sleep. And when I woke up, the 
the truck curtains were open. Someone had unhooked my airlines and cracked the drawer on the trailer. So it was all unhooked. I literally had to get out of the truck about two in the morning on a Saturday morning out there. There's not many people around there on the highway that time of the night. No. And I had to put it all back together. And I was more scared, to be honest with you, not because I didn't hear a car pull up or anything. I was more scared someone had walked up to it and done it. And they were still in the area. They were watching me, perhaps, because I couldn't see them. My eyes hadn't completely adjusted to the dark, but I was I was fearful that something might happen to me. So you keep saying you you as a as a truckie, which I think you said you know longer that you, particularly when you're out here on these lonely roads, that you are fearful that fearful of the unknown or fearful also of other people up to no good. Did something ever happen to you that that triggered the like? Did someone once attack you or something or like? Like oh, if I was a truckie, I think I'm in the biggest truck around. Like I'm not going to let a little ute behind worry me. I'll run over him. Like, I got chased. I got chased many years ago when I was young, when we were teenagers and that stuff. There's a guy in the area who in the Pembroke area where I used to live and still live, and um, young people used to give him a hard time on their trail bikes and that stuff. And we got chased through the bush. And that guy, <laughs> he was a he looked similar, I suppose, like in hindsight to like what Ivan Malat does or did before he died so but you don't you reflect on that 10 years down the track went oh well it wasn't i'm lap but he looked a bit like that so you get well what could happen well we got chased through the bush for about 25 minutes by this guy through different streets and into the and the bush was our were you, savior were you on foot or were you on a trail bike we're on push well? bikes we're on push bikes and we get right. chased because someone had gone in the area and vandalized this guy's house so we got chased so right when i've gone out and about like i said a, different times if you're tired in a truck i've pulled up and you sleep wherever you need to sleep if you're tired and you want to have a break so i've done that but the thing that raised the fear and never worried about it before is little things like that like no someone's got out and done these things in my yeah. truck and they've probably been looking for stuff to steal or whatever and some people go oh it'll be a yowie or whatever no nah, no nah. it's more more fearful of what is there so there's yeah, someone that's right. in the area for sure yeah. that could have hurt me potentially yeah. if they wanted to. So, yeah. But, but yeah, just knowing that, like, oh, I'm fully exposed out here. They could, if there's a hundred people out here, I'm in all sorts of trouble. Plus, <laughs> um, oh, I experienced a similar fear when I um, go out to a, a spot near Canberra where I do a tour, and it's in this sort of remote pine forest. And when I take the tour groups out, we go out in a little mini bus in the middle of the night, but sometimes the road because no one else uses the forest can be um you know trees fall over or can be washed out so the day before i go and check all the road and the night or sometimes the night before and sometimes when i go out there um oh, i'm usually by myself and i go out and check this road and i'm out in this forest which i know has a reputation of being one of the most haunted forests around in terms of what people experience in there and i'm out there by myself and um you know a few times i've had things happen with my own car and it hasn't been able to start when i've got to a location in there or i keep looking over my shoulder someone's chasing me or but, but they're not you know just thinking yeah. there's someone following me but it's it, i think it's just the i have a heightened sense of a, uh, i don't know awareness there because i know other things have happened not to me but to other people in that forest and so i um yeah, I'm quite on edge when I'm out there. So I can imagine uh, yeah. that's only on the outskirts of Canberra, which is hardly remote compared to, you know, yeah. some of the roads where you would have stopped and people worried about people being chasing you or min right. lights or, or other. Yeah. So, that, so that's been the weirdest thing. I guarantee the times when those things have happened, 
have been when I've been suffering from quite a bit of fatigue too. You're just a bit more worried. You're like, oh, like even then when I was tired, when I woke up and that happened, I'd had just enough sleep to go, oh, I'm really tired. I've still got to sleep, but I just got the truck going enough to go up to Manildra and I slept in Manildra right next to the flour mill. So <laughs> I just felt safer right. because there were people there. So some something yeah. happened out in the bush. Was it paranormal? No, I don't think so. So I'd like yeah. to say, oh yeah, I've got a cool paranormal story and yeah. something ripped open the curtains of the truck and smelt like a toilet and all this sort of stuff. Like could have a cool Yowie story, but I don't have one. So <laughs> but be- you might. Well, you yeah. stop driving now. You're going to have to get back out there in an empty truck and drive around. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have to drive around. Maybe with some, like, I don't know. I don't know how people get them. I reckon they drive around with cattle. Maybe I'll need to head up the Pilliga and have some cattle yeah. on the back of the truck and stop. So, but, yeah, it's good. So I appreciate your time tonight. It's, been, it's been very good, very enjoyable. And, um, yeah, I like everything that you've said and your experiences have been to me fascinating so well my listening to your experience as well because one thing i found in delving into the sort of stuff i do is the best thing about it is hearing other people's experiences as well because they know that you've opened up I've, that i've opened up with mine and then be surprised what you hear from other people and i think um that's another good thing about sort of working in this sort of area is that if you put yourself out there and you're prepared to say what's happened to you and be honest about it then other people are often the same back to you. And I think um, that can only be good, not only for cryptozoological things, but for society in, in general. Absolutely. Hey, one last thing. I want to come down to Canberra. I'd love to catch up with you and have a look at one of your favourite hotspots for a ghost yeah. tour or something like that, if you could recommend sure, anywhere. There's, there's plenty going on. There's um, I'll do about eight different tours around Canberra when, when COVID settles down. So you'll have your choice when you come down. Fabulous. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot for your time tonight, Tim. And uh, it's been very enlightening. I hope everyone's got something out of it. So thanks again. Thanks, Duckman. Lo- lo- lovely to chat to the Duckman. Absolutely. So everybody keep on listening to Duckman TV. This will be going up, going Duckman TV and Weekend Warriors. And yeah, we'll be plenty more to follow up. Thank you.